Welcome to Spirit in Action. My name is Mark Helpsmeet, and each week we bring you visits and conversations with people doing healing work for this world, hearing what they're doing and what inspires them and supports them in doing it. Welcome to Spirit in Action. Welcome to part two of our visit with war tax resistant activists in the lead up to the National U.S. Tax Day, when all of us get to ask ourselves, am I okay with half of every income tax dollar I give to the IRS going to fund the military? Last week, we spoke with Lincoln Rice, and we started talking then to Don Timmerman. We'll finish off our visit with Don and then go on to talk to Kathy Deppie and then finally to Chrissy Kirchhofer. First up, a continuation of our interview with Don Timmerman, long activist with the Catholic Worker and resident of Milwaukee's Catholic Worker House, Casa Maria. Go on now, Don. Let me ask you a few more questions about Casa Maria. I read the latest issue of Casa Cry, and one section of it, I mean, you you have a whole lot of social justice events and what's happening in that area that is reported in there. But there's one section that I think is my favorite part, and it's called Don's Jokes. Yeah. <laughs> Are you on the side a stand-up comedian as well? No, no. I'm eclectic for humorous stories and, and jokes. I love to read those, and I love to tell them to other people because most of the news that's in the, the Casa Cry, the newsletter, is very sad news. <laughs> and I don't want people to be so down after they read it. So I said, I'll just include some jokes, and maybe that'll boost their spirits a bit. So that's why I do it primarily. We had just come from a demonstration in Madison, Wisconsin, where we had risk arrest at Truax Field, where they want to put the F-35 jet planes, the fighter jets, and we don't want that to happen. So we try to stop it, show our disapproval of that by risking arrest. There were no arrests. A couple of guys were hit with cars, but there were no arrests. There were some that went to the Truax Field, where they want to put the planes, and the rest of us went to the Capitol to appeal to the governor that we don't want the, the F-35s in Wisconsin for numerous reasons. Casa, one of the things that happens with me as a Quaker is a lot of times people know of the political work, the activism that Quakers are involved in politically, but they don't know much of the spirituality part of Quakers, given that Quakers are largely silent that way. I guess maybe it's not too surprising. How do you think that balance goes in terms of something like the Catholic Worker Movement and specifically Casa Maria, where you're active? The friends have always been very supportive of Casa Maria, the local friends group. In fact, they used to make meals for Casa Maria for their guests. I think it was like once a month they would bring a big meal and they would share it with the guests. That was their role. And, and of course, they believed what we believe in regards to being pacifists. So we got along pretty well with them. Uh, the reason I think we remain Catholics is because of the fact that we were born and raised as Catholics. <laughs> Not that we agree with everything the Catholics stand for, but we just haven't gone to other denominations at all. For a particular reason. 
I noticed in the Casa Cry newsletter that amongst the things on your calendar, it's okay, here's the Milwaukee War Tax Resistance Peace Action Stand on April 15th, on April 20th, the anti-ROTC vigil. But I noticed specifically, it said in the calendar, April 7th, remember Good Friday when Christ showed us that he meant what he said. Love your enemies, do good to those. So people, I think, would definitely see the religious mixed in with that. If people come to Casa Maria, the folks who stay there, is there anything particularly religious you do as part of those visits? Well, we used to have liturgy every Wednesday for a long time. As long as I was living in the house, we had liturgy. And we'd have a mass, basically. But it was very informal. It wasn't like the, you know, the mass you have in church. We had the consecration, we had communion, and we had songs, and we would get quite a few people coming. If they weren't not only in the house, but people from outside would come and join us, though we had a limited amount of space. But uh, <laughs> it was a good thing. It kept us going. It kept reminding us of why we're there, you know, why we're what we're doing is what Christ taught, and give us a little incentive, I guess, to continue on. And we would still have the liturgies there, except when COVID hit, then we stopped because we didn't want to have the spread of that. It's not good if you kill people through your liturgy. No. <laughs> and so we have every couple of weeks we have in our house here, where my wife and I live, which used to be called Lazarus House. We used to take women who were homeless into our house and help them in any way we could, finding a place and trying to get some revenue for them so that they could pay rent in a place. We did that for a long time, yeah. One last thing, Don. When I spoke with Lincoln Rice, he mentioned about the action you're going to be doing this year. That is to say, you're going to have a bake sale for the military or actually for the people who've been injured by military. And of course, this is a playoff on the idea of so far, we've always given all the money that the military wants to them and human needs have had to have bake sale to try and stretch and meet those needs. So a bake sale for the military. I'm just wondering if you're going to be baking things for this bake sale. No, probably not. You're not, not a, a baker? baker? What? <laughs> not, not a, a Roberta, Roberta? Maybe? I don't know. Maybe maybe she will. I don't know. That's up to her what she wants to do. But we try different means to educate people on this whole issue of uh, tax resistance. Anything we can do that will convince people that they should not pay their taxes and, and refuse to pay that is good for us. So we keep thinking of what we can do to convince people that it's not good to give their money to the IRS for taxes or for, uh, for military help. Well, I want to thank you for your decades and decades of witness, of spiritually based witness, of converting love into a physical action into the world, for your part in Milwaukee War Tax Resistance, which again is where I got my start as a war tax resistor, and for joining me today for Spirit in Action. Thanks so much, Don. Well, thank you. Thank you for calling. We appreciate it. We got more connections to Casa Maria, to other things that we've mentioned in this interview. They're on northernspiritradio.org, along with connections to Don and Lincoln and other folks who are connected with that organization in Milwaukee, Wisconsin.
That was the end of our interview with Don Timmerman. The first half can be heard on the northernspiritradio.org website, so you can fill in the blanks. Remember to leave a comment when you visit. Next up is St. Louis activist and war tax resistor Kathy Deppi joining us from L.A., California. Kathy, it has been a long, long time. Welcome back to Spirit in Action. Oh, thank you so much for inviting me. When I was talking to you ages ago about the Southern California War Tax Resistance Group and your Alternative Life Fund, talking to both you and Francis, that's more than 15 years in the past. Does the group continue, and is there still energy around resisting war taxes in the L.A. area? There still is. The alternative fund has dissolved and people have redirected their money to other alternative funds or to peaceful purposes. But people are still continuing to resist federal income taxes that go to the war. And that's great. We still have a nucleus of people who are involved and Francis is still involved. We have some folks down in San Diego as well, so often we join with them to get things done. So tax day is coming, so we have some plans for tax day that are in the make. (laughs) It's coming up very soon. Yes, April 15th. Yeah, well, I think that actually April 18th is the official tax due day this year. They seem to stretch it a little bit each year in the hope that maybe some people will want to pay some more tax, thereby pay for the burgeoning military expenditures of the U.S. government. Can you remember any particularly notable actions or demonstrations from years past that you and other members of the Southern California War Tax Resisters have carried out? There have been several times when we joined a local march. It may not have been around tax refusal and redirection, but we would take our flyers from the War Resisters League with the pie chart showing how much money goes to the military and distribute those. And they would also have our name and contact information so that we might try to steer some folks into finding out more about reasons why and strategies for resisting this government wars. Can you remind me, Kathy, of how you got connected with War Tax Resistance? I was a co-coordinator of a peace group in upstate New York called Dutchess County Peace Center in the 80s and early 90s. Because we were in touch with other local peace groups in New York, we were also in touch with War Resisters League and knew a little bit about war tax resistance because of that connection. We used to have monthly meetings on different issues, so we invited Ed Hedeman from the New York office to come and talk to us, give us maybe a workshop on war tax resistance. He brought his tax resistance books, and I bought one, and and I was off on my journey to do it in a more public way than I had been doing it since the Vietnam days. Would you be willing to share an overview of your experience as a war tax resistor? I mean, with the government coming after you, harassing you, or maybe just shaming you with nasty letters, what's happened to you over the decades in this face down with the government? I've changed jobs a lot of times. I've made it a principle to try to prevent collection as well as, you know, refuse it first and then don't just hand it over when they say, whoops, you forgot something. Oh, I don't just say, oh, here it is, you know. (laughs) 
So refusing collection has led me to a number of different strategies and different amounts that I've refused over the years, starting with a Vietnam War when President Lyndon Johnson placed a surcharge upon our income taxes. The surcharge was to fund the war in Vietnam, and it was in addition to the tax you had already figured out you owed. You were supposed to multiply by 0.006 or something like that. And when you got the number from that mathematical equation, add it to your tax as a surcharge. So I refused to do that. At the same time, I was refusing the telephone tax, which Lyndon Johnson also said was on there directly for the war. And the telephone company would collect the money for the government, send it to them, and they would use it for bombs and missiles and and shovels and rakes and implements of destruction as arlo guthrie says <laughs> everything you can imagine that they thought they needed agent orange for one right i mean all of that and the first encounter i had with the tax man was early on i was getting these little bills for the telephone tax refusal that after a number of months amounted to about eight dollars and forty cents But I got a bill in the mail. You owe the government $8.40, and that includes interest and fees and so on. And I was smiling about that when the doorbell rang, an IRS agent huffed his way, huffed and puffed his way up my two flights of stairs to my apartment and pulled out paperwork that demanded me to pay $150. When I showed him that I didn't owe that much and presented him with the most recent bill with this date stamp on it, he was so upset that he left immediately. And I could hear him cursing on his way down the stairs. (laughs) (laughs) And he didn't come back and I didn't pay the $6 or $8 or the $150. So you've been annoying people in the tax system for a long time. (laughs) I guess so. Did the IRS ever grab your car, your house, or other things? You said you switched jobs a lot so they wouldn't easily levy your wages. Right. They have to find you first, and it always takes them two, three, four years after you change jobs to figure it out where you are, at least back in those days, right? But one day, a young woman on her bicycle showed up at my house, said she was from the IRS. She had just gotten out of college and needed to pay back her debts. So she's sorry she was doing this job, but it's a job, right? I broke one of my own rules and invited her in, sat her down at my kitchen table, and we talked about more tax resistance. She was shocked to know how much of the budget was going towards the military wanted to know where I was getting my information. So I showed her Ed Hedeman's book on tax resistance. And she said, well, you know, this is all going to be collected somehow from you. And and you won't have any money left for groceries or for your two children. I was a single mom. <laughs> and I said, well, that isn't true. It's only 15% that the government is allowed to take from my paycheck at most. And where where are you getting that information, she said. I said, well, it's right here. And I opened the book, (laughs) page whatever, and I showed it to her. And she said, can I have the book? And I said, no. (laughs) (laughs) You cannot have my book, but you can get your own. (laughs) 
At any rate, it was a very pleasant conversation, and she left without any money, and she stopped threatening me. <laughs> well, is that as threatening as they ever got with you? They didn't ever try and grab your car, your house, or maybe one of your kids? No, it was always going after bank accounts or wages, because those are the easiest things for them to do. And they're not going to get tangled up with a vortex resistor who has a conviction, you know, of, of what's right and wrong and not just an attempt to avoid taxes. We try to take the high ground by redirecting the money and not using it on ourselves, right? I mean, so we can prove that we're not out to get richer by refusing the tax. We're out to make sure it goes to something peaceful. I did have a run-in with an IRS agent in Kingston. I lived in Poughkeepsie, New York, and they demanded that I show up in their office. They subpoenaed me to show up in the IRS office with all my records and all my stubs and paychecks and everything. So I got some help from a lawyer who has been helpful to the peace movement, and he told me, well, Kathy, you can just go in there and take the Fifth Amendment. I said, me? I can do that? I was shocked. I thought that was in the books, but it wasn't. didn't really apply to me, you know. And, oh, you can take the Fifth Amendment. You don't have to take all those records with you. So I didn't. I went in and, again, annoyed somebody so deeply that he threatened me with court and said, well, I'll just take you to court on this. And I said, well, you can do that, but I'll say the very same thing, that I have a right not to incriminate myself. Under the Fifth Amendment. Oh, he was angry. But you seem such a nice person. Do you ever get offensive with them? Some people are certainly tempted to yell at the servants of the military-industrial machine as they try to get us to feed their money needs. So you don't take your objection out on them? No, because they're just cogs in the wheel. They're not the problem. They try to be... Some of them really try hard, but it's not them that's the problem. It's it's the government misusing our money in ways that are against our conscience. It's pretty hard to pick out an individual in the government that you can blame for this. It's a system. So we have to change the system and, and stop the wars. And this is one way I can use my voice to do that. I understand that that's part of what you do. Now, because you're in your later 70s, I'm presuming you no longer are weighed down with full-time employment, so you can give yourself more completely to activism. I understand you're active with something called Merchants of Death? Yes. Tell me about that. I haven't heard about it before. Well, ever since the Civil War in Ukraine took that disastrous turn into Russia's invasion, the peace movement has been struggling with how to deal with that. And in the war tax resistance movement, we have also struggled with how to connect our refusal to pay for war with efforts to promote peace. Since we know from past experience that no one wins a war, no one ever wins it, and we know there can't be any real military solution to this war, we also know the military contributes more than any other industry to the demand for fossil fuels for their operations. And so that ramps up production costs for new weapons, not only in billions of dollars, but it ignites the demand for more energy and it ignites the demand for, for example, more jet fuel 
they're now using jet fuel in those Adams tanks that the U.S. is sending to Ukraine. But drilling in the Arctic, all of those things are moving ahead with great speed, partly because of the needs of this war for more fuel. We're headed pretty fast towards that sixth extinction, I think. So for myself, I thought we have to stop that flood of weapons going to Ukraine in order to stop the war, help stop the war, and turn it towards a truce first and then negotiations. So I heard about efforts that were coming out of a group in Pennsylvania, I think the chapter of Pennsylvania Peace Action, to hold these corporations accountable by instituting a war crimes tribunal and charging the four major companies that are producing these weapons of destruction, charge them with crimes against humanity. And that really interested me because we're not having much luck with this government, you know, convincing the government. But we might turn to what we call a corporate campaign instead of a policy campaign to make our point that we have to ban these killer drones, right, (laughs) to get rid of them. And that's an effort I've been working on anyway since last November when I first heard that peace leaders from that group and major peace leaders in the country actually had taken subpoenas and gone to Raytheon, Boeing, Lockheed Martin, and General Atomics in Washington, D.C., at their headquarters and taken subpoenas demanding that they produce documents and witnesses and so on at a war crimes tribunal to be held in the following November, which will be this year in November. I thought that was a great idea. Then I heard that General Atomics was the only one of those three, four major corporations that did not have a corporate headquarters in D.C., but in San Diego, And we have war resistors in San Diego, and now we have General Atomics there. And they are the largest manufacturer of killer drones or weaponized drones, you might use that phrase, in the whole country. So I said, well, why don't we take them a subpoena? Brad Wolf from Pennsylvania said to me, well, we tried. We went to a sub office in Washington, but they wouldn't let us in the door. So we could not even deliver it. We had to mail it. I said, well, we'll take them the original one. They're over here in our neck of the woods. (laughs) And that's what the opportunity just seemed to fall into our laps. So we started to pull together from our war tax resistors group. We called other groups like Veterans for Peace and student members from San Diego, the University of California at San Diego, also from a local peace resource center there and Women's International League for Peace and Freedom and so on. We called leaders from those groups and got a nucleus of people willing to meet with us on Zoom like this and figure out what kind of a demonstration we could have delivering a subpoena to General Atomics in San Diego. Are you saying that did happen? Yes, it did. It took us a while, so by the time we were ready... The 90 days that General Atomics had to answer the first subpoena had passed. And now, instead of issuing the subpoena by itself, we were going to issue also a citation of contempt for crimes against humanity. And that's the second step of preparing for this war crimes tribunal. 
They've already chosen 12 judges for it and gotten students around the country to interview witnesses. It'll all be on Zoom so the whole country can hear testimonies about what these weapons of of huge destruction are doing with our taxpayer dollars, those who are paying taxes. So we had a problem, though, because General Atomics had its own compound out in the woods, sort of, near the ocean, and they didn't have it. There was no visibility there for the general public to even see us. They were at the end of a dead-end street, (laughs) and we could stand there for a year, and no one would know we were there except the guards in the little booth who were preventing us from going inside on their private property. So I, I said, I still want to try to deliver this, these citations and things. So we have to go there. Let's go there and have a protest and get it filmed by a professional and use the film on social media and websites and so on to show as much as we can about why we're there and what the War Crimes Tribunal is all about. So that's what we did. So we'll have a link to the organization, the Merchants of Death War Crimes Tribunal, their website, merchantsofdeath.org, and we'll have a link to the video on YouTube about the action that Kathy Deppi just described to us. It's called Killer Drones on YouTube, and the easiest way to get there is just to follow the links from my northernspiritradio.org site to both the organization and the video. But go ahead, Kathy, and tell us a bit about what you did at that action. So in our protest, we then read aloud the entire subpoena, which had 27 demands, (laughs) and the citation, which said you have not uh, responded to these demands, demands, so you are now in violation of, of the law. Of course, this is symbolic, right? But still... Then we read aloud the names of people that have been killed by weaponized drones, and there's a lot of them, but we read in two particular areas. There were 38 people on a school bus, 32 or so of them were between the ages of 12 and 17, 38 people on a school bus in Yemen whose bus was hit by a missile drop from a drone and killed all those folks. And then there were the 10 members of the Ahmadi family who were killed in Kabul on the last days of the war when the U.S. was taking people out from the airport and there was a bombing at the airport. So there was a lot of chaos during those few last days. And somehow they mistook Mr. Ahmadi, who was going home to his family from a job as a humanitarian aid worker. They mistaked him as a a terrorist and dropped a missile on his car in the family driveway, which killed 10 members of his family. So we read those names aloud. This wasn't the first time that our group had pulled together other people to protest drones or been part of other protests of drones, militarized drones, because some of us went out to the Nevada desert a couple of times to the Creech Air Force Base where a couple times a year we would protest that place as a training ground for drone operators. You could stand at the gates there or near the along the fence at the edge of the property of the Air Force Base and watch the drones practice landing and taking off and coming around and landing again. 
So we would go out there and have yearly demos. And uh, we followed the leadership of tribal leaders from the Western Shoshone, whose land that we must walk on in order to protest there. And as the workers would drive in for their shifts, they were really long lines going quite slowly to go through the gates. And they had time enough to read our signs and see the images we were carrying of the Amadi family of 10. I carried the cutout image of a two-year-old child in those protests. So I'm for getting rid of these drones and using our tax money for peace and for positive results. And I'm glad that we were able to gather money for the film. And we're hoping to make it widely available through social media now. And gather that money from resisted war taxes here in Southern California. Now, with April 15th coming up, we have another plan. <laughs> but um, this plan involves... Uh, a little civil disobedience, perhaps, so I don't want to say too much about it, but there are some posters being provided to us that we can put up around different places. I'm looking at some of the places around El Segundo, California, where, as I mentioned earlier, there are three of those large merchants of death providing a lot of jobs to a lot of people in this area that we're not going to be too happy with these posters. But that is something we can do to get people to start thinking about their tax money and where it's going and if that's what they really want to pay for with their taxes. Which so many of us would really prefer not to fund the killing. And then there's someone like you who has faced the demands of the war tax systems for years and you go happily on and on. Did you just lose your fear of the IRS and the mighty hand of the government coming to grab you? You seem such a happy person. You don't seem to be trembling with fear. Did that just disappear over the years or have you always been fearless? <laughs> Well, I'm glad you call it fearless. My family doesn't think that's the best definition. I think that it's a feeling that I have that I'm doing something my conscience requires me to do. I'm glad when I can find an opportunity to answer my conscience. I was very happy to find that there was such a thing as war tax resistance. And I think other people who hate war as much as I do, and the killing that goes on, just indiscriminate killing of everybody in sight, civilian or military, and the damage it does to soldiers themselves. I think that a lot of people just feel helpless and feel powerless to do anything about it. And I also think that we have to act together to make the biggest statement and so a movement like Vortex Resistance and Redirection has given me a feeling of peace, actually, that there is something I can do. So I don't have to just be angry all the time. I can be positive and I can feel like I'm contributing to peace in the best way that I can find at this point in time. Not that I can convince others, but that I feel I'm doing what I must do for my conscience. And I feel that I can maybe model that for my grandchildren in, in some way that will make a difference in their lives someday. Well, thank you so much, Kathy. It's wonderful to know firsthand one of the angels from Los Angeles, to find someone who has had a lifelong commitment to making this world better, safer, less violent, more loving. And thanks again for joining us today for Spirit in Action. It's been a pleasure to talk with you. 
As I said, find the links to the Merchants of Death Tribunal and to the video of the action by Kathy Deppie and her activist friends on my site, northernspiritradio.org. Yes, that and much more on northernspiritradio.org, including links to the guests we've had over the past two weeks, Lincoln Rice, Don Timmerman, and Kathy Deppy, and to all the guests we've had over the past 18 years of Northern Spirit Radio. Find the links on our site, post your comments, and mutually own the conversation. You can also donate to support Northern Spirit Radio, and we do need your help. But so do the 35 to 45 community radio stations who carry our programs all across the USA. Support them with donations from your wallet and from your hands, because there's no better way to help ensure local voices get heard than through non-corporate radio alternatives. Do what you can to keep freedom thriving. And we'll head back to our guests to talk. In this case, we're heading to St. Louis to talk with Chrissy Kirchhofer, Outreach Consultant for the National War Tax Resistance Coordinating Committee, NUTRIC. Well, Chrissy, I'm so glad you could join me for Spirit in Action. It's so great to be with you, Mark, as well as with your audience. Really wanted to cap off the interviews I've had with the other three folks we've just talked to, all associated with Nutrick. And you are what's known as the outreach consultant for Nutrick. That sounds kind of contradictory because there is an anarchic tendency on our end of the spectrum. So, what is an outreach consultant for Nutrick? What do you do? So for those who might not know, NUTRIC is kind of the shortened version of the National War Tax Resisters Coordinating Committee, which we have a website, which is NUTRIC.org. But my role as the outreach consultant for NUTRIC is reaching out to our members, local and regional people who are practicing war tax resistance, as well as connecting with national organizations who are working on issues of peace and peacemaking and resisting militarism and the many forms that it comes into our communities and stretches throughout the globe. And how big of a job is this? Is this full-time or is this part-time? Or You're not a staff member, are you? Outreach consultant is a staff, well, um, we veer away from the word staff, but it's a paid position with the organization. My coworker, Lincoln Rice, there in Milwaukee, is the coordinator of Nutrick. And so I work less hours than him, but put in a fair amount of work reaching out to our members and communities, especially around tax day and getting word out about people who are finding ways to resist pain for war. Well, this has been a really important time of year then for you, and maybe you've been overworked. I don't know. How many big activities have you heard about? Or have you been part of bringing the information together? I don't know if you provide resources to them. What do you do? It's a pretty exciting time. It's interesting that it kind of tax day coincides with spring and just so much activity in the air and people getting out on the streets and coming together to really embrace the world in which we want to see and where we invest time and energy. So we here in St. Louis, I'm in St. Louis, we had an action at the farmer's market on Saturday, handing out leaflets, the pie charts that are provided by the War Resisters League in New York. So Raising awareness and letting the general public know about where their federal income taxes are going, and almost half of it's been going to war for decades now. And so 
trying to engage people and see what it is that they want invested in in their communities and trying to recapture our imagination for this world in which we really long to build and be a part of. So you're passing out charts there in St. Louis, where you're located. Do you get good reaction, bad reaction? People ignore you? I mean, people are busy. I've got my own stuff to do. I was actually wondering, especially during the Trump administration, if you got a different reaction, positive or negative. I can imagine it could have gone both ways. The lead up to tax day in 2016, the Nutrick office saw kind of a flurry of activities in terms of people much more interested in resisting taxes for war and for all of these policies that lead to destruction. So there was a particular campaign that year in 2016 of divest from war and invest in people. And so a really strategic effort in that. And so sometimes it feels like there's hot button issues in the moment. And I think that's part of the beauty of war tax resistance is that it's a consistent message over time and consistently opposed to war and paying for war. I find great solace in the network of the people that make up Nutrick and uh, the consistency of that message. So we know that taxes going to war leads to destruction, and we're opposed to that any place in the world. How long have you been associated with war tax resistance? Well, when I first picked up the new trick material down at the School of the Americas when I was in college, I was convinced then, and and it wasn't just the material, it was the spirit of the people that I encountered that just, there's a saying from May Sarton about if we convert at all, we do it by being something irresistible and not demanding the impossible. I didn't realize when I wrote that down years earlier that it was something that was at Wally and Juanita Nelson's homestead. Um, I didn't have the pleasure of meeting them, but just to bring home kind of this network amongst people supporting each other and taking these steps and catching courage from each other has been really important. So I got the information about Nutrick and I resisted paying taxes for war, but I have to say too, like over the years, not being as connected to the network, just the Sometimes the isolation of doing war tax resistance or, you know, making this commitment and not being connected to others. And maybe that comes in, you know, ebbs and flows in terms where we need it a little bit more than others. But to really know and be a part of this network has just been incredible in my life over the last few years. Know that I do it in solidarity with others. Also that I do it representing others. You know, there's people in our communities that might have different reasons that they feel like they can't be war tax resistors. And so, again, I feel like that's an important part of the tax day actions. You know, not everybody who participates may directly resist their taxes to war, but it's a point to raise education and awareness about where our tax money is going. You said that you first got the information when you were attending the School of the Americas, as it was called or is called. That means you're already on a bent, a direction that says the military, and in that case specifically, how our military was used to train despots for the Central and South America. So you were already headed in that direction. I guess maybe that would say that you were fertile field for the idea of war tax resistance. I'm opposing this thing. My goodness, am I really going to pay for it too? 
So did you step right into being a war tax resistor then? Yeah, and I guess I would say, you know, or recognize that it has taken a lot of people or support or community to take this action. And so I would say I was still like absorbing, especially in college, I was studying social work. And so my intention was to be of assistance and service to the needs in our community. And I remember reading something about something to the effect of like, we can't have our McDonald's or our way of life without McDonald Douglas. And so I growing up in St. Louis, McDonald Douglas was headquartered here. And so that really like hit home in the sense of recognizing how much of our money was going to the military. And it was really getting in the way of what I wanted to be investing my life in and, and making resources available. And so it felt like a tangible step in terms of taking the action of resisting pain for war, and also to be a little bit more mindful about how I invest my time and energy and what I contribute to the community and kind of stepping out of a path that might have been presented to me otherwise, to not see the militarism. And I think that's part of the issue. You know, many times you asked about people receiving flyers. I think some years back, people would say, you know, I'm good, or, you know, maybe mannerisms local to communities. And it's, Clearly, we've seen over the last three years, especially, that our communities are not well. People are not good. And so part of the tax day actions is just to resist that and say what it is we want for our communities. And instead of war, healthcare, you know, instead of war, housing, and the list goes on and on. But it's a point of engagement with people in our community. You mentioned how important it is to just know that there's other people, brothers and sisters across the country who are witnessing the same way. There's, even if you haven't got five people in the same room with you doing the same action, at least knowing that it's happening across the country is important. Did you need the training, the help, whatever, to become an active resistor? Did someone else train you to how to do war tax resistance? And that has become more apparent to me since I've been in the Nutrick network of the variety of approaches that people have taken and also how it's shifted over time. So we do these war tax resistance 101 sessions in which we engage with people who are interested in war tax resistance. And really, it's an opportunity for us to listen to them and to hear what is motivating them, what is happening in their life circumstances, and to really listen I see such benefit in that. I maybe had more informal conversations with people and, you know, sometimes can get really caught up in the information. And I found that it's really been having those conversations with people. And then now being in the Nutric network of just the vast amount of approaches people have done over the years. And so I find that really inspiring. And has it been scary for you as well? I mean, has the IRS come after you if they tried to, you know, take your car, levy your wages, etc.? A lot of people live in terror of the IRS, the government coming after them, and government can be an immense force. What's it been like for you? Yeah, that's an interesting question. I think it makes me think, though, of Nutric. Right now, we're in our 40th anniversary year. And so emerged in 1982, when people were practicing war tax resistance, there was a lot of opposition to nuclear weapons, a lot of, even though the Vietnam War had come to a close, we were still investing close to half of our federal income taxes to war and to like new weapons of war. And so the opposition, so the need for the Nutric network 
to share information about what was happening in different communities. There was very strong uh, local vortex resistance, but also Nutri coming in and sharing that information on a national level. And so, and I guess it was with the nuclear weapons, it was famously said when a million people came out to Central Park in New York to express their opposition to nuclear weapons, that they said, Alexander Haig said, they can march all they want as long as they pay their taxes. And so it was a real putting it in people's faces and so connecting and supporting each other. But at that time, there was a lot of levies and liens and uh, seizures of cars. But I think you're right. It's, it is really about the fear of the IRS. And so we haven't seen as much activity with the IRS but there is a strength of our network in terms of supporting each other, sharing information, and not being intimidated about what we feel we need to do and what is right. But again, has it hit you at all? I mean, oh, I'm sorry. It's, I didn't know. No, I, it hasn't. You know, with that, there's various approaches to war tax resistance. And at the core of it for Nutric is having a transparency, you know, and so we, we are clear in our opposition to war tax resistance. My connection with the Catholic worker has kind of kept me towards the under taxable income level, but then there's also a variety of approaches, but I have not been contacted by the IRS myself. But yeah, there are many in the network and sharing updates regularly in our newsletter about some of those circumstances, but the IRS has been kind of underfunded. Well, they haven't had as many people there. And- I think it's kind of ironic that what I think is mainly a conservative or maybe Republican-led effort to undermine our government and particularly weaken the IRS has also freed a lot of war tax resistors from too much consequence to our principled resistance. Yes, thank you for saying it. Yeah, sometimes it feels like it's getting us into the weeds or into the IRS where it's really about taking a choice and resisting that intimidation of, I do feel like the IRS in our culture has kind of a larger than life presence in people's minds. And so I also think of Kathy Kelly talking about in a book that the IRS was her spiritual guide. And so I think that's a <laughs> good way of framing it too, you know? <laughs> that's a really interesting concept. I hadn't heard Kathy say that before. I've interviewed her as well along the way. One of the things that you've done is, I mean, at way back, you were involved with the work against the School of the Americas. I assume there's any number of places where you've put your effort On one hand, Catholic worker, you're helping feed the homeless and so on, helping out that way. But there's practical helping to make the world better. And there's also the way we stop the government from causing more damage. Are there actions, other actions besides School of the Americas you've been part of that have been particularly inspirational, motivational for you? It's interesting to like kind of look back and see how there were so many confluences of people and influences Going to the School of the Americas led me to, um, granted, I was still in college, but quit my job and move into the Catholic Worker. And I feel like that was the place that I began to have more of a real education, especially in the sense of resistance movements. That wasn't something that was taught to me in my educational process and probably for good reason. You know, the better understanding people resisting tyranny of government, war making might make people (laughs) resist more. So I think also then going to Iraq with Voices in the Wilderness and encountering consequences of war and and bombs and connecting with people and 
set me on a course to return to my hometown where Boeing was manufacturing the smart bombs in order to intensify the war in Iraq with the shock and awe. And so seeing the importance to make connections with lands and, and what is happening in our lands and our neighborhoods has been a really important step to anchor me more in St. Louis and trying to clean up the neighborhood and just also to do it joyfully with other people and to find that balance in terms of responsibility as well as more importantly, like loving the lands and loving the people and loving these things within our community and including, you know, the needs that we see around us. As the outreach consultant for the National War Tax Resistance Coordinating Committee, does that mean that you, Chrissy Kirchhofer, are a target for people who want to, you know, scream down these unpatriotic people who don't want to pay for war? Do you end up having to have those kind of face-offs? You know, I mean, I can imagine there's conservative radio. They might invite you on just so they could yell at you. I guess I haven't gotten that invitation. And I think, you know, it is important how it is we frame our conversations with people to just move against, you know, seeing others as enemy or just to do away with that divide that has really been trying to set people up against people, for, you know, millennia. It's interesting, a couple of weeks ago, we were up in Madison, Wisconsin, for this opposition to the F-35 fighter jets, which is in every congressional district in the U.S., like kind of a genius move in terms of having a lot of buy-in to the boondoggle of the F-35s. But so we were up in Madison as part of the Catholic Worker and others regional resistance gathering. And we were outside where they have the F-35 fighter jets at Truax Airfield. And there were people coming in. We were there for shift change and there were people coming into the gathering and they were quite upset because they were trying to get to work and using their cars almost as weapons, trying to to drive into people. And I guess a lot could be said about that. But I think like it's gotten where there's less and less spaces for us to come together and have conversations. I don't know what to attribute a lot of that to, but the more we can engage in conversations and be with people and, and hear them out, I think it's really important for us moving forward and just agreeing to disagree at times. In your role as outreach consultant, does that mean that Nutrick folks send media contacts to you? I mean, I'm here as media, Northern Spirit Radio, Spirit in Action program. I'm reaching out to you. What actually is your job description as outreach consultant for Nutrick? The role of outreach consultant for Nutrick seems to be a blend of doing outreach to media, uh, social media, you know, Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter and engaging in conversations in, in those platforms. But it's also reaching out to our members and different organizations within our wider network, as well as other national organizations who are doing similar work. So there's Campaign Nonviolence, which is a project of Pache Bene, is doing a upcoming workshop or study dialogue on war tax resistance. And so plugging into those groups, as well as going to different webinars and when people are lamenting about war, talking to them or presenting about war tax resistance. So it's kind of a variety of different means of communicating with other people and trying to utilize those as much as we can within local communities and nationally. Are there any of the actions on part of Tax Day that have felt particularly motivational or captivating to you, Chrissy? 
Yeah, that's a great question, Mark. Some of the tax days have just started kicking off. So I know that in Milwaukee, they had a bake sale for the Air Force. And so they had that outside of the Air Force field there and feeling like some of this week is just getting started. So last year, there was a group, the War Industry Resistors Network, that was focusing actions from tax day to Earth Day. And I know that's continuing this year. So with tax day still being ahead of us, there's still a lot of actions that will be taking place from tax day until Earth Day to make these connections about what militarism is doing to our planet and how investing money in, into the military is taking away from resources needed to address climate. Can you say a bit more about the War Industry Resistors Network, what that is? I think it's associated with, or certainly their link through worldbeyondwar.org. And they've got their own YouTube channel, but what do they do? What There's a lot of reasons to resist the war industry. It was started about a year ago, over a year ago, and part of it is to raise awareness about the militarism in all of our communities. And so suggesting, encouraging, hoping that people would be addressing all of the, well, not all, but focusing on the weapons manufacturers in their communities and to have a nationwide network of support to people to, again, catch courage from each other. But also part of what is going to be culminating is there's a Merchants of Death War Crimes Tribunal that will be taking place in November to, again, kind of a point of action to rally people together to address the weapons manufacturers in our communities. Sometimes we are quite successful and sometimes uh, people are just not listening. But that hasn't stopped us. It sounds like you've been involved with this for 25 years or something like that. And I've been involved with war tax resistance since 1982, so 40 years. It's something that's near and dear to our hearts, and you're near and dear to our hearts for carrying on the work, you and Lincoln, the other folks who have been continuing to try and help lead the U.S. to integrity and to a better life for this earth. So I want to thank you for joining me for Spirit in Action. Thank you so much for having me, Mark, and to your audience for listening. And again, folks, we've been speaking with Chrissy Kirchhofer. She's based in St. Louis. She's outreach consultant for the National War Tax Resistance Coordinating Committee. Keep up the good work, Chrissy. Thank you. That's it for this two-part visit with war tax resistance activists, all affiliated with NUTRIC, the National War Tax Resistance Coordinating Committee. We just heard from NUTRIC's outreach consultant, Chrissy Kirchhofer, Whereas we started last week with their coordinator based in Milwaukee, Wisconsin, Lincoln Rice. We also spoke last week and this week to longtime war tax resistor activist and Casa Maria Catholic Worker House worker in Milwaukee, Don Timmerman. And the other person we spoke to over in L.A., California was Kathy Deppie. We've got links to all of these folks and to the various organizations' actions they've been working with on northernspiritradio.org. So check us out, reach out and connect, and do your work to heal this world. And we'll see you next week for Spirit in Action. The theme music for this program is Turning of the World, performed by Sarah Thompson. Check out all things Spirit in Action on northernspiritradio.org. 
guests, links, stations, and a place for your feedback, suggestions, and support. Thanks for listening. I'm Mark Helpsmeet, and I hope you find deep roots to support you to grow steadily toward the light. This is Spirit in Action. With every voice, with every song, we will move this world along, and our lives will feel the echo of our healing.